Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clements each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go. 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 This is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine. I'm Andy Dawson. Pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney. So, well. Welcome along to the latest episode of the Twit Odyssey. I thought we'd have done this by now. I thought we'd be finished, but we're not. There's uh, about 10 pages of the book itself, and then we've got a day in the life of Roald Dahl to do. So I think we're in this until after Christmas, Sam. Could be wrong, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, well, it's built up some momentum. It has. Hasn't it? We've, we've I think that's the thing. Aspects. I thought it would have all been about Roald Dahl and how horrific he is and his anti-Semitism. But, it, well, um, that's what it started as, and then we discovered Roly Poly Bird, and we haven't yeah, looked back. Roland got, Bird. Yeah, it's got other depths, hasn't it, that we didn't mm. even know about. Um, I saw a little thread on Twitter this morning about the witches and how anti-Semitic that is, and people have done some bullet points about why that's anti-Semitic. Is that right? I didn't I think know there's that. A new, is there a new film version of it out or something like that? Mm. And somebody had gone back and returned to it, and I'm sure there's there's anti-Semitic tropes in this as well but uh, we haven't really scratched that surface too much have we we've got two into the roly-poly bird but um, that's for other people to do I think um, yeah some some people will do a podcast series of all of Roald Dahl's work pointing out every single anti-Semitic element of it and good luck with them but that's not us fine that's not listen us. yeah we live in a world where there could be a podcast about fucking anything this I is mean, true and there almost know, certainly I- is I'm trying to do a fucking look back deep dive on every episode of Big Break, mm. right? With John Virgo and Jim Davidson. So when you think that we live in a world where that could happen, then a, a, a deep a, a whole rolled dial podcast is. Plus, I got to say, the BBC sounds mm. they commission and I, I, listen I'm all for the BBC we're always talking about good stuff that we've consumed because of the BBC yeah. right loads of times on this show so I'm not one of these fucking nutter conspiracy theorists who think we should shut it down but yeah but BBC sounds fuck me have you seen the podcast that they knock out mate it's unbelievable right I was listening to the radio <laughs> on Friday and they were interviewing someone uh, he's a famous writer um, he, I think he wrote Shameless. Oh you yeah, know his uh, name. Danny Brocklehurst, isn't it? I yeah, think. I think it might be him, right? Yeah, and he's done a lot of other things. There's a, is there a show called Brassic or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I think it was him. And they said, "So tell us about." He was on Six Music. They said, "Tell us about this show you've written, then, mate." 
And he went, yeah, all right, I fucking will. I'm paraphrasing. That's why I'm here. Here we all go. Right. Yeah, right. you shut Strap your mouth. I was about in, to fucking say it. Right, here we go. Tell me it. I will. <laughs> He's, it, I was thinking, all right, let me get my head around this, right? This bloke is a BAFTA-winning fucking, like, one of the country's top fucking dramatists. Mm-hmm. The BBC I know where paid going. I have opinions write, as well. Write yeah. a fucking programme, right? A dramatisation of, like, rave, the, the rave scene in the yeah. late 80s, right? Which, by the way... I've got to say, I'm getting a bit sick of hearing about in it's the same become, way. It's become punk, hasn't it? It's become punk. And I became yeah. sick. Obviously, I didn't live through punk. I did live through rave, but I was too young to be going in that in that era. I mean, mm. you know, I got all the residual benefits you enjoyed of the, e- ecstasy and nightclubs you, and house music. You enjoyed music. the refreshments. At least yeah. did. And, and, you know, and I suppose the clubs that we all might have danced to in the 90s were like, had that rave culture thing. But... Fucking hell. You know, there was a period in the 90s where every second documentary was about punk and it was the same old faces sitting there going, what you can understand is, you know, Britain in the 70s was not... Uh, it was, you know, cut to fucking the same archive footage you've seen a million times, right? Of people on strike standing around burning bins, <laughs> yeah. right? And go, Britain in the 70s was a pretty grim place to live in, right? And this was our way of saying, right, we've had enough. And, uh, and, and literally... Everything changed from that point on, right? Mm-hmm. It was year zero. And you're there thinking, I was two, but I could tell you word for word the fucking whole script of punk, right? Because they're all fucking saying it every day on my TV screen. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily, that came to an end, right? Before we all had to top ourselves with boredom, right? And <laughs> and then, now it's fucking rave. And it's the same thing, because yeah. yeah. it's... Quite white, white and middle class, right? Yeah. No, I've got a problem with that. I'm a white middle class man. But we live in this time of like diversity and we're all trying to be more conscious of investing in diversity and stuff like that, right? Mm. Um, and there was a great, there, were, there was that great, you know, Rodney P thing on jazz funk, mm-hmm. uh, which was brilliant. But that was a one off program, right? And it told about a subculture that was just as powerful as punk or rave or anything like that, but it was rooted really in the black community, right? Yeah. The thing is, all the people who got into taking ecstasy and dancing in fields in the late 80s, right, because it was a a very white middle-class movement, they are all the people who are now commissioning TV shows, commissioning podcasts, editing magazines, if our magazines still existed. But that's the generation. So they elevate it because it was their scene. They elevate it to the scene. Mm. That is, that was the defining thing of that era. Well, there's lots of different scenes going on in that era, right? Mm. You pick up a copy of the Face magazine from those years. They covered the Summer of Love and Rave, but there was a million and one other things going on amongst kids in this country, right? For instance, most of those raves were in the south, weren't they? I think. No. Somewhere no, in a no, field no. in Hampshire. Well, the, the, the prevailing theory is that rave was massive in Manchester more than anywhere yeah. else at the Hacienda, but it wasn't because it was it, it kicked off in Blackburn and right. nearby areas in Blackburn. That was where the first illicit raves, I think, went on because I remember reading about it in the NME and it was like, this is all going on that thing of people just turning up somewhere and then deciding where it was going to be. And it was going on in fucking Blackburn. It eventually right. got into the Hacienda and got picked up by Tony Wilson and people like that, but it didn't start there. Yeah. 
But the, the raves as opposed to the clubs. Yeah. No. Well, anyway, <clears throat> I'm getting a bit sick of it. It's fine. I'm not saying no, I'm anti-rave. You know, there's great things that came out of it. And, and it, it is interesting, but it's like, fucking hell, nothing. Anyway, this kid, this bloke, right? Obviously very talented bloke. Got no problem with him. But the BBC fucking paid him to write a sort of very experimental podcast drama yeah. which kind of enacts scenes from the time, right? Mm. And then they're intercutting it with... Also, it's very experimental. I couldn't really understand it. Because we've also got Chris Warburton from Five Live doing actual news journalistic reports about right. real things that happen. And we're lacing that through with dramatised sort of semi-fictionalised versions. And the cast we've got is... And it was fucking every top British actor you can think of, right? Like your David Morrissey, I think Olivia Coleman was in there, fucking everyone, right? right? Every famous British actor was involved in this. And I was thinking, wait a minute, it's a fucking podcast about rave, right? Yeah. And the amazing stories. The other thing is, right, if you spend any time clapping, right, then, you know, you can say, you can look back now and elevate and glorify your experience. But let's be honest, right? Mm. I mean, Danny Baker's very good about this on punk because he's very honest about punk. He was balls deep in punk, but he's yeah. the only person in that generation going, well, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. There was lots of bands around. Some of them were <laughs> punk bands and it was quite good fun. That's it, right? It yeah. wasn't like, because everyone post-rationalised it. So everyone goes now, yeah, and we all felt we were we were involved <clears> in something, right? It, we'd had eight years of Thatcherism and it was our way of saying enough's enough. No, it fucking wasn't. It was a cheap right? excuse to get off your tits. You were going into a field and taking <laughs> ecstasy because it was a laugh and you were young and that's the sort of thing that you do, right? Every generation no before poli- has enjoyed getting off their tits and you were just exactly. doing the same. It, it's not it, like... No one who's lived, who grew up in the fucking countryside and used to go and just get pissed up on a fucking cheap bottle of cider in a field on a yeah. Friday night is now making a documentary going, it was our way of expressing <laughs> our anguish about 10 years of yeah. Thatcherism, yeah, right? Exactly. No, it fucking wasn't. It was your way of getting battered. And there's nothing wrong with that. But don't look back and try to make out it was something bigger or more profound than this, it was. This is what I've mentioned before. This is why I've got a bit of a problem with Jeremy Della because I think he's a fucking fraud. Yeah. And he's, in, he's into all that as well. He's done that thing on BBC Four last year, which which mm. glamorised the lion eyes. Yeah, <clears throat> the whole the whole rave culture thing is. Well, my problem with that is, was. I enjoyed it because I thought it was a nice bit of storytelling, yeah, although it was flawed. It. it was flawed, yeah. right? But it was nice storytelling. But my problem with that was he didn't, in however long that show lasted, once mention ecstasy. And right. the story of that whole scene is 90% to do with the fucking invention and distribution of ecstasy to mm. young people, right? That is it. Mm. That's it. That's how the music came about. That's why they all got together, right? It's because it was a, a, a part. It was literally, more than any other drug, it was a party drug. It's a drug yeah. that you take and then you just want to fucking dance and have a laugh, right? Good. That's it. That's the only fucking thing. <clears throat> and so how he could do it and focus on cultural shifts. Yeah politics and all these and so you know grand sociology sociological theories right without once saying basically someone invented a pill that you took and you just went fucking mental and danced all night it was almost certainly because he was in front of a room of school kids and he wouldn't be allowed to say that but it means that the story lacks any credibility because that was the only thing. Yeah. He's going, it was a rebellion against... He shows this footage of nightclubs in the 80s with um, 
the hitman and her, right? Mm. And he's going, look, everyone was dancing to crap music in cheap suits, right? Quite snobby. What he means is nightclubs were quite working class. They're well, middle class kids who had yeah. been li- listening to fucking Pink Floyd, suddenly discovered ecstasy and started listening to house music. And then it became sort of like more something that we regarded as cool. Well, rave culture kicked off, what, 88, 89 in this country? I yeah. was going to clubs in Sunderland in 89, 90, 91. I, I didn't go to them myself that much. I went to the indie club. I went yeah. to the indie club, the student Indie club. discos. But yeah. Sunderland was absolutely rammed with clubs that would have been on the Hitman and Her and you had to queue to fucking get in them every week and no cunt was going out in fields and taking ease and hugging each other in the fucking middle of a field in the middle of the night. It was all yeah. Hitman and Her culture. So yeah. it can fuck off with that as well. Yeah, that's the other thing. People over-exaggerate the extent to which it had sort of went through society. There was yeah. fucking loads of people. The vast majority of people had no idea what was fucking going on, Yeah, including yeah. a lot of young people. Do you know what I mean? I would not have had any idea whatsoever where to get some fucking ecstasy from when I was yeah. 18 or 19 in Sunderland. I tell you what I did. I, I it, When it was like, you know, popping up on top of the pops and I used to buy all the trendy magazines uh, when I was y- too young to go to nightclubs or buy clothes or any of the other stuff that they talked about in magazines because I saw it as a sort of a portal mm. to like a, a, a sort of more grown-up cooler world so you buy things like the face so i started like hearing about it but i wouldn't have had any dealings with it but what i did do was i went to kensington market and anyone who grew up in the 80s in london would have known it because it was like a mecca Mm. that was like an indoor market that sold youth stuff right youth Mm. fashion and you know sort of place where you'd get a t-shirt but then you'd get a little fucking chillum to smoke weed in or whatever and (laughs) I bought, when I was about 13, I went there with my mum, right? Really embarrassing. You're in there. You want to go there, but you've made your mum come because she's going <laughs> to let... Right, you can go to Kensington Market. We'll go there on the bus because I've got to pop into Barker's, right? Which was the fucking... Uh, Barker's was the department store. And then you can go in that place. What is it? The place you like? <gasps> Kensington Market. Don't call it Kensington Market. We call it Ken Market. Just call it. <laughs> right. And it, you, I tell you what, because you've been good, you can have one thing up to five pounds. Right. So we go in Ken Market and I buy, right. I'm 13 years old. Never come near a nightclub, much less a rave or some ecstasy. <laughs> I asked my mum to buy me a smiley face bandana. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, I was going <laughs> to fucking say yeah. I was going to interject and say, can I get a smiley face bandana? And there That's it exa- is. That there is it. Is. I got a smiley face bandana. <laughs> I went home. I tried to work out how to tie it around my head pirate style. Couldn't do it. And then I thought, also, I just don't have the balls to go into school wearing this. So I remember what I did. I lay it out quite neatly on a small tabletop, like a bedside table I had in my bed. <laughs> like I lay a it out table. Like, it, it was like a small tablecloth. Like a and it was all table. neat. Yeah. yeah, you could put all your acid house ephemera on it. Yeah, and, and my mum sometimes washed it because it might have got a tea stain on it. Actually, wash it, maybe even iron it, and then put it back out for me. Did that, you get, where's my rave bandana? <laughs> did you get a little Beecham's cold and flu capsule and put that on it as well? Your <laughs> rave collection. That's me rave. That's me rave acid. <laughs> me rave acid drug pill, drug tablet. <laughs> yeah, so I can't remember why we're talking about this. We're but talking Ray, about Danny Brocklehurst and uh, oh the, yeah, the yeah. Podcast. And all I was thinking was, for fuck's sake, the BBC, right? 
I mean, this is a little bit sort of industry, I suppose, but everyone's trying to make fucking podcasts, right? There's too many podcasts. And you, I mean, fuck knows how much that costs, right? Mm. But I don't, I don't believe that lots of people are listening to it, right? Well. Because it's fucking niche. And yeah. you have hired a massive cast of huge acting talent to tell a small niche story written by a brilliant award-winning writer with a cast of like that probably cost you tens of thousands of pounds. Yeah. And for what? To yeah. tell a story that we've all heard a million times before in quite an ambitious avant-garde way, right, for an audience of you and your peers. Yeah. Dinner party, dinner party cunts who are all reminiscing about that rave they went to yeah. fucking once in Surrey. I'll add this as well. I'll add this as well. The um, they, they did the rounds of promoting this about six weeks ago, and I heard Danny Brocklehurst being interviewed on right. Five Live and probably Six Music six weeks ago. So it's clearly not had the uh, listener numbers that they were yeah. anticipating for. And it. I'm not surprised because so it's again. fucking niche. Yeah, they're Dude, doing the rounds listen, again with it. Listen, That's right? That's not allowed. That's so, not allowed, right? There's a, a an accepted promotional window around any new cultural product. And that's two weeks mm-hmm. either side mm-hmm. of release. You've had you can't have two bites at the cherry cuts, no. right? And that's what and they're doing. I I'll tell you why. Someone's getting a fucking sack over this, right? Yeah. Because someone at the BBC sat around with his mates, right? They've gone out for a few minutes after lockdown. Going, oh, God, guys, remember when we were really into raving, right? Remember Sunrise? I think it was about eighty nine. Huh? Those were the days. Then we right? went to Goa in ninety two. Yeah, we went to Goa. Yeah. Hit the old spice trail. <laughs> Let me tell you, things did get spicy, right? <laughs> Jalapeño. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Jalapeño. They've all fucking glorified and romanticised their own adolescence, which we all do, right? But the difference with these countries is to go, you know what? I'm going to fucking make a... I can fucking commission a podcast on this and I'm going to get a... Fu- I'm going to get David Morrissey to be in it. I'm going to get the fucker who wrote Seamus to write it. Uh, and I'm going to also get the Five Live News team to add some journalistic cred to it, right? And it'll be for guys just like us, Right. Guys who really lived on the edge we, of rave culture. We are going into departmental on this. Yeah. And I'm putting and the metal spent, in the departmental. He spent fucking thousands of pounds. I mean, not being funny, right? There's podcasts like ours that cost nothing to produce, no. right? That will be fucking outperforming him by times a thousand. Yeah. Right? And we're just a couple of fucking idiots, right? Yeah. We're a pair of cunts, right? Doing it down the line between Sunderland and Barnes, right? And we are absolutely crushing it in terms of audience. And this cunt, whoever he is, is thinking, fuck, fuck. He's waking up with his hangover from the expensive red wine he gets pissed on at night. And he's going, oh, fucking hell. Someone's going to start asking questions about this fucking vanity project that I invested tens of thousands of licensed fee money in. <laughs> We've got to get and the it's just fucking mad. <laughs> Look through it. Look through BBC podcasts, right? 
And I am behind the BBC in 99% of cases, but in podcasts, that is what people generally complain about because you think they're putting so much money into the most ludicrously niche podcasts, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but in doing so, they are also fucking suppressing, you know, people who are independent and want to go Be- and make because their they're, own they're podcasts. Because they're putting all the promo might behind it, which they've done again with yeah. this thing last week because it hasn't done the business. So that they've wheeled out Brocklehurst again. To plug yeah. it again to try and we are the con out. If yeah. not, we're. I tell you what. If it, if I'm going down, Brocklehurst is going down with me. <laughs> <laughs> we can all go down for this, all of us. I know where even, the bodies are. And buried. I don't say this lightly. Even Aid Edmondson, who's playing a copper in it. <laughs> I know where the bodies are buried on this one. Whereas with Top Flight Time Machine, all we know is where the sausage rolls are buried, and it's a very yeah. different thing. Yeah, and good luck finding them, cunts. What are you going to go when the grid goes down as Public Enemy are currently singing? Well, we fucking know. Whenever I hear that song, I think, well, fucking Andy Dawson knows what he's going to do when the grid goes down. He's heading straight into those woods to unbury his fucking sausage rolls. (laughs) He's got no, he's got no trouble at all. That's that song holds no fear for him. That's life logistics for you. That's life logistics. But I mean, what was the other one? Who's who's that northeast lass who was on Gogglebox and then she won the jungle thing? Oh, what's she called again? Um, oh, fucking hell. She's on everything. What does she do? Is she, what well, is she? she just... Uh, I'll put, I'm a celebrity goggle box winner. And then it'll come oh, yeah. Know, uh, Scarlet Moffat, that's her. Scarlet yeah, Moffat. Yeah. I'm sure they're doing a Scarlet Moffat podcast where she yeah. looks at conspiracy theories. Mm. And I think from what I gather, she fucking ends up believing half of them. Of course she does. How, how is that fucking, you know, responsible public service broadcasting? That's mad. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, right, the BBC, sometimes they break new ground by doing stuff that a commercial sector wouldn't, right? Yeah. And then the commercial sector might see that and think, oh, that's good. We should have a crack at that, right? Thank you, the mm. BBC, for breaking new ground. With podcasts, it's the other way around. They're not involved in podcasts. They've seen other people make podcasts and be a success, and they've thought, oh, that's the thing now. We better get involved. Everyone yeah. else, fuck off. We're going to use our huge sums of money and promotional power to yeah. move in, right, and eat up huge chunks of this market yeah. that plucky independent broadcasters like ourselves have, have established. Yeah. Fucking hell, well, this is really boring for the I'm listeners. Looking, but... I'm looking at it now. Scarlet Moffat wants to believe. Conspiracy-obsessed Scarlet Moffat attempts to uncover the truth, but can she convince her non-believer boyfriend, Scott, so you've got Scarlett Moffat, who is a role model for a lot of young people, and she's doing podcasts but on the BBC entitled The Moon Landing Was Faked, Royal <coughs> Conspiracies, The Illuminati, The Loch Ness Monster, The Bermuda Triangle. And it gets mm. worse and worse the longer it goes on. But that, that's very that's, fuck- that's cheap as well, you know, because yeah. the conspiracy theories are a real problem now. We used to laugh at them when we were younger, but now, at this moment in time, conspiracy theories have become... You know, when Louis Theroux was doing conspiracy theorists 20 years ago, we all laughed, right? There was no internet. There was no internet, whereas now conspiracy theories are fucking dangerous things, right? Conspiracy theories are responsible for things like the election of Donald Trump, mm. Brexit, and so on, right? They've got, and, and therefore the BBC, they know that it's easy. You get, get to, it's, it's like data driven ideas that they've gone, right, yeah. what's popular? Well, conspiracy theories, every cunt likes those. Right, because they're fucking easy to get excited by. They're yeah. populist, um, 
and what else do people like Scarlet Moffat right so it's like I it's like monkey tennis it's like an idea matrix they've got on the wall okay guys <laughs> over on this side of the wall on the whiteboard I've written a list of the top 10 most popular uh, celebrities in the UK right now and on this side I've put the 10 most searched <laughs> Google terms topics, yeah. in the UK right now so it works real simple yeah Freddie Flintoff on porn <laughs> Yeah, put it together, make a fucking podcast. Scarlet Moffat yeah. on conspiracy theories. Put yeah. it together, make a There's fucking a podcast. podcast. Right? Yeah. But it's cheap because they're not doing public service. They're, they're actually contributing to something quite dangerous because those conspiracy theories have got credibility and traction now amongst huge, huge uh, parts of society. Yeah. And you shouldn't be using Scar- lovely Scarlet Moffat, who knows no better, probably. Yeah. Right? You shouldn't be using her to spread them. Yeah, uh, paid for by the license fee. Pay. Yeah, fucking hell. <clears throat> also, as well, listen. I'm not what? saying refuse to pay. I'm not saying you should pull a timbrel. No, refuse to pay your license fee and instead donate all the money to our Patreon. But in a way, you should, because <laughs> you know, if not, the economy is never going to rebuild itself. Also, as well. Quickly mention this has struck me as well today. The latest episode of the excellent Life Goals with Theo Delaney, mm. um, which we've both guested on, and of course, you are Theo's brother. The latest episode is uh, the mighty Danny Kelly. Danny Kelly, I, I listened to it on my run this morning, Kelly. yeah. And I, you know, when I work at a talk spot, I regard him as a, a pal. Um, but I'm now counting the days until that format gets nicked and put on talk spot. Well, talk spot are aware of it I'm because. Sure they are. Because during lockdown, there were discussions right. between us and Talksport about right. them taking the form because they had no, during the, the bad lockdown, they had nothing to, yeah. no, no, nothing to talk about, no content. So there was a discussion about them taking a bunch of Life Goals episodes and putting them on Talksport. Oh, right, the ones that have been already done. Yeah, it got to quite an advanced stage uh, where we talked about money, and I think they offered us the equivalent of about £5 an episode for hey! what I consider to be very good, well-produced, well-hosted podcast with great guests that Theo's put a huge amount of work into. So I thought, well, that's a bit of a piss take. So what they'll probably do, which is what happens with these things, is, yeah, they'll just steal it. They'll nick it, yeah. I'm counting the mm. days, like I said. But there you go. Um, this is the Twitter podcast on a uh, a podcast that is uh, supposedly football. a football podcast. I don't know where we go now. Um, yeah, welcome to fucking Media Hour with Sam Delaney and Andy <laughs> Dawson. Apologies, everyone. We've just been ranting about the fucking media. No one cares about that. What people do care about is the twits being turned upside down in Have their home. Look, I'm not even going to get into that. Have you got anything else about the media you want to go off your chest? Or anything at all, really, that's just hanging around? Because there's no point getting into the twits now. The episode's pretty much finished. Or should we just wrap uh, it up there? Well, I'll try and think of something good to say, because, you know, that is... Like I say, I like the BBC. I think you like the BBC as well. But you can't... It's not like tribal. It's no, everyone's that's so tribal, the idea they of the BBC. Well, just the execution's really bad sometimes. It is sometimes, well, that's, that's you know. With everything. What I think is this, is that people, there was a, you get a certain type of BBC fan, supporter, who really annoys me because you know it's rooted in snobbery. The mm. sort of thing that when we were kids, in fact, I'll tell you this, when we were kids, because my father was rather more aspirational, let's say, than my mother, right? <laughs> when, before I, um, before I was born, 
my brothers are all quite a lot older than me, right? So they mm-hmm. they lived in a normal family with my dad before my dad did the off. And he, right, wouldn't let... He was one of those fuckers who wouldn't let them watch ITV. Can you believe oh, that? Oh, no. So me, that, that was never relevant to me because he wasn't around. He left when I was, like, still in nappies, right? See, because so I always thought as... that was an urban myth that people would say that, that no. they weren't let to watch ITV. I thought but that was But you got to understand, like... right? My dad, what a weird guy. They're living on a, on a council estate, skint, on benefits, right? My dad's a bit of a hippie, right? But he's like, no, you can't watch ITV. No, 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 no. You can only watch BBC wow. because BBC does educational things. So my brothers would tell me these stories when I was a kid just fucking watching anything and everything, just consuming TV pretty much 24-7. And it would be like a myth from olden times, like in Star Wars when they talk. You fought in the Clone Wars? And they'd go, you know, that when... <laughs> When Barry was still around, that's my dad, right? When Barry was still around, we couldn't watch ITV, and I'd be like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And they go, no, straight up, couldn't watch ITV. Because he thought it would like ma- it would mash your mind, sort See, of thing, I right? I thought that was one of those cliches from the punk documentaries where they would say, "Oh yeah, well we weren't allowed to watch ITV. We never saw Magpie. We only saw Blue Peter." Yeah, yeah, well, no, no, no. That my, was a that, my, thing. my brothers, my brothers. I don't know how well it was policed or how long it went on for. I mean, to be fair, I think even when my dad was still married to my mum, I don't think he was around much in the house. He was right. he was out on manoeuvres a lot of the time, <laughs> right? So they probably did watch ITV, but when he was in, they couldn't. Uh, but the thing is, is that there's this, the BBC snobs, which he, mm. I assume, must be one of them, or he was back then, right? They'd be like, you have to have the BBC, because without the BBC, the commercial <laughs> sector would only make yeah. stuff that appealed to the lowest common denominator, right? Yeah. They would just say, oh, well, I mean, it will all just be bingo and nudity, right? And, <laughs> and darts, right? Where will and we get off think- our supply of Attenborough? Was that the exactly. BBC? And, that, and by the way, Attenborough's the only thing they can ever think of as well. Yeah, yeah. Although and they'll occasionally say... more than his fair share on Sky recently as well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they say, oh, Bake Off, oh, it's so wonderful, Mary Berry's a national treasure, and it's so quintessentially British. Yeah, well, cunts, it's on Channel 4 now. <laughs> right? So, anyway, they they can't really think of examples, but they think well, they've got well this idea that, that... As well as that, Sam, when Bake Off went from BBC to Channel 4, ratings dropped by about two-thirds. Are they, are yeah. they, is that all? Is that all the BBC snobs? Are these people unable to fucking find Channel Four from BBC? They can't bring 2? themselves to what? look at Channel Four in, in the case the they're fuck? exposed to a, a dread an advertisement for yeah. a product that's for working class people. But what they do is right. They say, "Ah, oh, well, it would all be rubbish if it was a commercial sector." Well, television and entertainment in general was revolutionised in the nineties and noughties by HBO. Uh, fucking purely commercial entity that had existed only to show pay-per-view boxing, right? Mm. And then they thought, actually, let's start making some dramas, but let's make them, like, fucking super amazingly good and put loads of money in as a gamble. So they made Sopranos, The Wire, and all the rest of it, right? And they complete... And and now, in the day we live in now, where everyone's addicted to high-end dramas on Netflix and Amazon... Mm. Apple TV and beyond. They owe, owe all of that to HBO, right? HBO made, and and not just incredible, and this is true of Netflix and Amazon now, not just incredible drama, but documentaries, right? Really intelligent, fucking groundbreaking documentaries, journalism, or i.e. all the things that the BBC snob said would not be possible because the yeah. commercial sector 
would automatically revert to making lowest common denominator stuff because their snobbery is rooted in the idea that ordinary people, people who aren't like them, people who didn't go to the same university as them, only are too stupid to ever desire anything of any like substance yeah. or intelligence and therefore you need to have to force feed it like you would force feed a goose grain to make foie gras <laughs> right by putting a fucking hose down their throat and force feeding them at right because they will never willingly watch anything that is like in the least bit intelligent right and HBO which is a completely capitalist entity set up purely for making money was 100% for its first, like, two decades just about showing boxing in return Mm. for money. They didn't go and make a programme about fucking bingo and nudity, right? They made something like The Wire or The Sopranos. When they made The Sopranos, they could have just made a show that was like The Godfather, but a Mm. series, right? They made this fucking show that was a nuanced fucking examination of a man going through midlife crisis, right? Also, or, as well, these, yeah. also as well, the HBO commissions were all things that would never have been allowed to have been shown on network TV in America. Exactly. Because, not because of the, 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 the what the subject matter was, but because of the swearing and the violence and the sexism yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so advertisers yeah, wouldn't have stood for that. Yeah. Adults. Adult so telly for adults. Changed everyone's... And, and Netflix, Amazon and all the other subscription channels wouldn't exist had it not been for them. And someone there said, we are going to treat audiences, mass audiences, with respect by get, by making really intelligent programs, right, for all sorts of different people, right? And we think that it will attract large enough numbers of subscribers and viewers for us to make a huge profit, right? And, and that it is did. Ex- and that, that was the point at which loads of the BBC's arguments, all the snobs, who go, oh, it wasn't for the BBC. Oh, we'd be able to watch a ghastly jungle programme with those two Geordie chaps. And they're just eating testicles in a jungle because that's all of the great unwashed want to see. No cunts. Fucking switch on Netflix or Amazon or fucking and, look at some HBO programmes. And that is exactly why this podcast is a success because we're doing stuff we wouldn't be allowed to do on BBC Five Live or on TalkSport or anywhere else. And people are flocking to it in their hundreds with their IFS subscriptions and making it the the glorious success that it is. I just disappeared up me on arse there for a second up. That's all right. No, but I mean, you know, I I don't want to see the back of the BBC, that's for sure. But fuck's sake, stay in your lane. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll tell you what, we'll wind this Twitter Odyssey episode up, this non-Twits Odyssey episode. We'll wind it up with this tweet we got a couple of days ago when we were going on about pay-per-view football, Premier League. Um, Phil Bed one on Twitter says, it makes paying the BBC TV licence easier to justify if you consider it as six payments for pay-per-view episodes of The Wall. And there you go. Very true. I'd fucking pay twice that. And that ties it all together beautifully, I think. This has been the Twits Odyssey on a football <laughs> podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Take the FN Dickheads. Bye. Hey. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 